Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. As you listen to this right now, it's highly likely that you have heard of the multi-country outbreak of monkeypox that's currently occurring. Well over 500 cases have been confirmed and dozens of additional cases are suspected. Fortunately, illnesses are relatively mild and there have been no deaths so far. But the emergence of this unusual viral illness in countries where it normally doesn't exist has certainly been cause for heightened concern. Keep it here. The House Call Podcast has the latest on the current monkeypox outbreak. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today we're taking a little break from COVID to talk about another viral illness that's making the rounds. This time, it's monkeypox. The current outbreak has involved more than 30 countries that usually never see a single case of monkeypox. As I mentioned in the intro, more than 500 confirmed cases so far, around 15 or so confirmed cases in the United States. Generally, this is mild illness. As I said, there have been no deaths. But there are some unusual epidemiological characteristics of this outbreak that my guest and I will get into. Our guest today is a podcast veteran, Dr. Matthew Sims, infectious disease physician and director of infectious disease research at Beaumont. Matt has also become one of our de facto monkeypox experts, having discussed the current situation in the local media. And we previously discussed Lyme disease together, among other things on the podcast. Matt, good to have you back. Thanks, Nick. It's uh, good to be here. So I guess let's just do this. The first thing I like to do, Matt, in situations like this is I like to timestamp things. And we've, we've done this certainly with COVID because the information can change pretty quickly. It's early June 22. We've done our best to try to get in front of this subject, uh, but things can change quickly. Hopefully this information won't date itself too fast. Um, and as always, we'll, we'll try to do everything we can to keep the information current and keep you, the listener, up to date. So Matt, let's get into the basics of monkeypox uh, with a little quick Q&A. First off, tell us what monkeypox is. Give us a background. Sure. Well, monkeypox is a virus that's been out there, you know, many, many years. It's usually seen in Africa. Um, and it is a sort of distant cousin to the smallpox virus, which, you know, has fortunately been wiped off the face of the earth. Would you say, um, let me pause there for just a second. Would you say monkeypox in terms of other diseases that it most closely resembles clinically? Would you say that's smallpox? Yeah, probably smallpox. It's not nearly as contagious as smallpox right. and it's not nearly as dangerous as smallpox. Definitely. Okay. But it does spread similarly. You know, it's uh, a disease that's characterized by um, this rash that uh, appears. It's, it looks like boils or blisters. Um, it can be all over the body. You get swollen lymph nodes, aches, pains, fever, and it generally spreads by close contact. So contact with the fluid that comes out of those lesions. Um, but those lesions can also be in the mouth so that the virus can get into your respiratory secretions and spread by coughing. It doesn't spread super far because it stays in those heavy particles that fall out of the air within five feet or so, but it can uh, spread that way. And it can spread that way before you see the lesions on the skin. Yeah, fair point. Um, and and um, I'm glad you got into some of the, the, the clinical characteristics of monkeypox. So generally, when, when someone becomes infected with monkeypox, there is an incubation period, right? And so if I contact someone with monkeypox today, it could be anywhere between, say, five days and 21 days. That's right. 
that my illness will begin. Mm-hmm. And then the typical, uh, I guess, a textbook monkeypox case, if there is such a thing. It's a small textbook. It's a <laughs> well said. Would be this viral prodrome that we call it, sort of like a flu-like illness for a couple of days. Right. And then the rash comes. That's correct. And, you know, before you get that prodrome, they, it's thought that you're not contagious, but we can't be 100% sure of that. Yeah, we're still digging into that, right? Yeah. Once you get that prodrome, that, that achy, fluish feeling, there is a small chance of being contagious, especially if you might have lesions in your mouth that you don't realize are there. And once the rash shows up, that's when people really, really get contagious. Right. And that rash lasts, what, two weeks, three weeks, yeah, four weeks usually? It, it takes a while, uh, weeks before it starts to uh, heal and scab over. And you're contagious until every last lesion is scabbed over. And so I think therein lies sort of the problem, right? We've got a, a disease that lasts a long time, and it's contagious, for a long time, yep. and it has a very long or, or so, somewhat long incubation period. Yep. So when you put those two things together, that makes things hard to control from an outbreak control investigation perspective, right? Right. Somebody could be exposed to it, and you won't know it for weeks. Yep. Um, and it's really hard to sort of contact trace everybody. It is. We've had this problem before in other conditions. One that comes to mind is hepatitis A, mm-hmm. long incubation period, right? So when a new case pops up, you find yourself asking people questions about things that they ate or came into contact with a month or two ago. And it's hard to remember. Absolutely. Until you get enough people to sort of put the picture together. Yep. I guess I would also say here that, thankfully, this is a relatively rare disease, right? It is endemic, or it does exist naturally in a handful of countries, mostly West and Central Africa, right? Yep. Um, I was reading before the pod here that prior to this current outbreak, only eight confirmed cases outside of Africa um, in the last, like, two years. Yeah, it's it's very rare, and almost all of those cases were associated with travel to Africa. Yep. You know, if you remember back, um, we had an outbreak of this before in the U.S. in yeah, 2003. Talk about that. Yeah. And it was associated with uh, prairie dogs, of all things. Yep. So the natural host of this virus is not the monkey. Um, it was named monkeypox because it was first described in monkeys in a research center. But the natural host are actually small rodents in Africa. And one of them is called the Gambian rat. And um, there was a pet store that uh, imported some Gambian rats uh, that turned out to be infected. And it jumped from that to prairie dogs, which was apparently a popular pet at the time. And so it got into uh, kids who uh, had that pet. And then, you know, to some of their families. And I think there were 40-something cases before they got it under control. If yeah, I remember, that was back in 2003. I was, yep. it was one of the things I was reading about prior to this, just to, you know, get myself buffed up on monkeypox. Interesting, and, and that outbreak sort of squashed itself, right? Yeah. Well, again, it, it's interesting because normally the way this spreads is person to person by contact with the rash, or animals to people, you know, from contact with an animal that's infected. Um, and that's how it spread in that particular outbreak. This outbreak is different, though. Um, you know, this actually seems to be most commonly spreading uh, in men who have sex with men. That's right. And I want to—that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about next, which is what makes this particular outbreak somewhat more unique. First of all, 
one feature that's a little bit puzzling about this current outbreak is that some of the initial cases early on seemed to lack a clear epidemiological link, mm -hmm. right? It's like whether that was through contact with a known person who was infected or travel to an endemic region, you know, historically, that's how you got monkeypox, right? Right. So absent any of those clear established links, people were scratching their heads and trying to figure out where the heck this was coming from. Then as cases started to pile up, as you said, Matt, there was an association with close intimate contact, right. specifically communities uh, of men who have sex with other men. And a significant proportion of the cases in that current outbreak have been reported in parts of Western Europe, specifically in that population. I want to draw a distinction here that I think is important. This is not being considered a sexually transmitted disease. Absolutely correct. Right? Right. It's not sexually transmitted diseases. Generally, it spreads through vaginal secretions or semen. Yep. Specifically, this is not spreading that way. At least as far as we know. As far as we know. Yep. This is more like uh, HPV, right? Yep. Which can be spread through intimate contact, but it's because you actually contact the lesions themselves. Right. And so given this widespread transmission that we've seen, one current investigation that is ongoing is trying to determine whether there is enhanced transmission, right? Looking at the, the virus itself and has it changed in some substantive way that has given it an advantage and allowed it to transmit more readily? Right. And, you know, it's, it's a great question, um, and it's an important question because it, it will speak to our ability to control it ultimately. But so far, there's no evidence of that. It just seems that one of the things in this particular outbreak is because of the form of contact. The rash is often appearing first in on the genitals or around the anus. You know, that might just be that it's sort of a concentrated area and there's friction involved, you know, when you have the exposure and it's just more likely to spread the virus. It's not like, you know, it's a simple handshake. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for just a second because, you know, again, let's go back to that small monkeypox sure. textbook that we referenced earlier. Usually, you know, the, the, the textbook question is usually starts on the face, right? right? Spreads to the rest of the body yep. and last two to four weeks scabs up and, you know, everybody goes home happy. And generally this is, like I said, a mild disease. There are a couple of strains of monkeypox. There's a West African strain mm -hmm. and then there's like a Congo strain. Correct. The West African strain is a little bit milder than the Congo strain, but still, you know, people generally don't die of monkeypox. Right. So the Congo strain is a little more deadly, as you said, up to 10%. Um, the West African strain, they usually quote it closer to 1%. But again, uh, those remember the area of the world that it tends to spread in, there's not a lot of health care. You know, it's not so easy to control. Right. And it's not so easy to treat the patients. Yeah. So it could be that the mortality estimates are a little elevated because of where we tend to see it. Yeah. So this is sort of behaving like, in some ways, like a novel pathogen. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's monkeypox, but the rash is, is not characteristic for what we know of monkeypox. It's occurring primarily in genital regions, and it's not causing any real significant, well, zero mortality to this point. Not so far. Hard. So what other features? Are there anything else that you want to say about the current outbreak that, that is a little bit unusual or, yeah, or you has know, got your attention? Well, again, they're, they're um, in the epidemiologic investigation. They are finding that there may be association with some events. So there may have been sort of spreader events. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say super spreader because it's not 
you know, large, large numbers still, but I think I um, saw a reference to like a like a big party, a rave, yeah. or something and like there that. There were raves. Yeah. I think I think it was in Spain. I think that um, sounds right. Yeah, and um, and there's some association maybe with saunas and things like that. Again, okay. and and as we've already said, it's being spread through sexual contact, though not as a sexually transmitted infection, um, and that's very unusual for this pathogen. I've read a little bit, Matt, uh, that, you know, experts are cautiously optimistic about the direction of this, right? Mm -hmm. I think the WHO has come out and said that they do not expect that this will become a pandemic. No, no, it it, it just doesn't spread that way. You know, it's, I mean, obviously, we're, we're still in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So everybody is very leery, yes. right? And, and suspicious and worried. We don't, you know, are we going to get another pandemic on top of the current pandemic? But you know, it, the spread of this, it doesn't seem to have that sort of potential. One thing I, I think we can kind of slot in here, we've talked about, you know, contact with the lesions themselves can be a, a mode of transmission. We've talked about respiratory transmission. We should talk about fomite transmission yeah. or contact with, you know, inanimate objects, sheets, clothes, you know, surfaces. This virus has, it, it's pretty robust, right? Yeah, it can stay on surfaces. So there hasn't, as far as I've been able to find, been yet specific research into how long monkeypox itself will stay on the surfaces. But there has been um, research over the years on various pox viruses, such as smallpox, that says it does survive for a significant time on surfaces. And everybody remembers learning in in you know elementary school high school somewhere about you know when the new world was settled that the uh oh, the blankets, the blankets yep. that gave the uh that gave the native american smallpox yeah and uh you know that's something we all learn as as a kid right um and uh, and it was a significant outbreak because of the, you know that started it yeah we are concerned about that now one of the fortunate things is this is what we call an enveloped virus which means it has a membrane around it. Um, so if you can disrupt that membrane, it usually prevents the virus from being infective. Yeah. And so, you know, hot water and laundry and bleach. Soap, bleach. Soap, yep. those all break open uh, envelopes. So proper laundering of sheets and blankets and pillowcases and all of those things, towels, yep. is going to be very important. Yeah, good segue. I think, you know, as we start to pivot towards treatment and prevention, first things first, prevention. You know, if you have monkeypox, the best way to prevent it from spreading to others is really to to isolate yourself, yeah. right? Keep keep things covered. If you have lesions, mm -hmm. you know, ideally not allowing those to you know parts of your body to come into contact with others. Keeping things clean and covered. Making sure you're washing your sheets, your clothes, you know, anything that anything on your body that may have come into contact with those lesions. I would even say probably wearing a mask. Yeah, and the masks should actually work even better than it does for COVID because, remember, COVID actually can spread further through the small particles. Yes. Whereas these only spread in the large particles. And the surgical masks, that's what they're really designed to stop yep. is large particles. So they should work even better to prevent respiratory spread. Now, something to remember is if somebody coughs and it lands on your skin – that's a potential point of entry for monkeypox, whereas for COVID, that wasn't the same sort of point of entry. Yeah, good point. So if you're, you know, just thinking about my physician friends out there, you know, if, if you're working in the emergency room and a patient comes in and you suspect that they have monkeypox, you're going to wear PPE, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to gown, glove, yep. 
wash your hands. protection, wash your hands. And hopefully you're going to tell that person to go home. I think that's probably the best place for most people with monkeypox to be. As long as they're not actually sick enough to be in the hospital, right. which could happen. Yep. Um, you know, one of the things, and it's not as associated with this outbreak, but classically monkeypox can cause, you know, lymphadenopathy, swollen lymph nodes. Yep. And one of the uh, presentations is can be what they call a bull neck because the lymph nodes in the neck swell so much. And in children, back in 2003, I remember there were some cases where it was affecting their breathing because it was so swollen. So, right. but so that there, was, there are again, some, unusual. Yeah, there are conditions, of course, you know, m- maybe in an elderly person or an immune-compromised right. person where the disease could be more severe. And, mm-hmm. you know, in that situation, hospitalization is probably warranted, right? Right. But for the most people, probably not. And your expectation, I think, of that person would be that they're going to stay home. Mm-hmm. Right, that Absolutely. they're going to they're isolate or quarantine or whatever language you want to use, and you know they're going to hopefully keep this from spreading to other people. Absolutely, and you know, I mean, one of the advantages, if you can call it that, that that we have now is there's a lot of potential for for many people, not everybody, of course, to work from home um, because that developed during the COVID outbreak. So that may be that may work in our advantage to allow people to isolate more easily without disrupting their life completely. So in addition to, you know, going home, you know, taking uh, two or four weeks to kind of cool your heels, what other tools do we have in our toolkit for prevention and for treatment? Yeah, so there are vaccines. So the original smallpox vaccine, which, you know, if you're over 50, you may have been vaccinated with. So I was one of the last couple of years that got vaccinated uh, for smallpox, my younger sister didn't, you know. Okay. Uh, you may have some protection still. Now, remember, you know, protection from vaccines wane over years, and it's been, you know, 50-plus years since people got vaccinated for smallpox. You know, but those memory cells tend to persist. So if you did get vaccinated for smallpox and you're exposed to monkeypox, that will hopefully st- start you making antibodies faster. And so you may have a mild case, but or you may have protection. But there are current vaccines. So there is a newer smallpox vaccine. It's called uh, ACAM 200, I think. Yep. And then there's uh, another vaccine called the Gineos vaccine, which is actually indicated for both smallpox and monkeypox. And we have those vaccines in the national storehouse, basically. And we can release it as needed. Now, right now, the recommendation... Uh, for using them is potentially for post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you've been exposed to a confirmed case and potentially if you've, you're just displaying it, you could still vaccinate to, again, give you that boost, getting ahead of it a little bit. Yeah, the idea here being that you've got that long incubation right. period. So even if you've been exposed, it may not it may, be too late. Right, and or it may it may not completely prevent it, but it may make it milder. Yes, but but so far, I mean, we, I get the question all the time. It's like, should I get go out and get that vaccine? Well, you can't just go out and get that vaccine. It's got to be released from, um, you know, the national storage. And and again, it is being released for post exposure things like that. But um, so far, the only other thing I've heard them talking about is, you know, for people who are going to be working directly with these patients that they might vaccinate. Aside from the vaccine, there is actually a treatment now that was developed for smallpox. Um, it's called Tecaviramat. Again, I think we have millions of doses of it in the national storehouse. And it does have activity against monkeypox, um, though there's not a lot of clinical 
data on how it's used. And, and I want to caution people because, you know, we've, we've had lots of drugs that were developed that, you know, older drugs that um, in Petri dishes have activity against COVID. But when we use them in people, it really didn't do very much. So this, this is a drug that is approved, but it was approved based on, you know, viral studies, animal studies, not really based on the type of clinical trial that you normally do where you give it to people who have the disease and see that it makes it better. So we have it, but we still don't really know exactly how much benefit it's going to give. And I would argue, Matt, you know, when you talk about whether it's Tecaviramat, the smallpox medication, or whether you talk about Cydofavir, which is mm -hmm. another treatment that could be used in, in select cases, right. or immune globulin against mm -hmm. vaccinia, I mean, those are really kind of your, your big three right. in terms of available treatments. I would argue that the vast, vast, vast majority of people are never going to even come close to these medications. Yeah, most people aren't going to need it because, as we've said, it tends to be a mild disease. But... If you're immunosuppressed, if you're older, there may be a select group of people who we're worried enough about the progression of the disease that they may need some form of treatment. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. All right, Matt, this is um, this is one of those topics that people have been asking me about a lot. This and COVID, right? Sure. So, you know, when when I run into somebody on the street, you know, or a friend that I know, it's you know, how are the COVID numbers doing, and what's up with monkeypox? So, pe people are interested in this. What else can we say about this that hasn't been said already? Or what other information do we have for the public about monkeypox? You know, I think I, we've covered the majority of it. The big thing is, you know, nobody expects this to become the next COVID, yeah. right? And, and to be honest, most people are never going to see a case, right? 550 cases worldwide sounds like a lot, but when you really think about it, it's a drop in the bucket. Now, we don't know how many cases are still out there that haven't declared themselves yet. Um, and we're hoping that we can get ahead of this and really stop it, knock it out, um, like they did in 2003. But because it's in 30 countries and, you know, sort of spread here and there, it's harder to do, right? Because you don't, it's not just in one area of one country where you can really go in and monitor the exposure so closely that you can prevent new cases. Yeah. Um, or just go in and vaccinate the whole area, for example, right? So some of the tools in our toolbox are, are, you know, we can't use for this particular. But if, if it does start to get larger to see more cases and spread into um, the general population, you know, then they'll start to look at whether or not a vaccination campaign is, is in order. Yep. And, you know, those are the kind of things that, remember, smallpox doesn't exist right now except in a couple of labs. Like, I think there's one lab here and one lab in Russia that has smallpox. And only for you know the purposes of creating defenses against it should it, something like it come back. We wiped it from the face of the earth with a vaccination campaign, right? It is one of the greatest success stories of modern medicine, yeah. right? The vaccination against pox viruses work really well. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess the thing I would kind of punctuate here is that, A, this is a real disease. Absolutely. Right. Um, it, it is, you know, and it's good to have situational awareness uh, about what's going on around you, uh, around the world. I, I expect we will definitely see more cases. 
I think that long incubation period that we talked about means that numbers will continue to grow and we just need to keep our eye on the ball here. And we'll do our best to kind of keep the community updated on, you know, if anything changes vis-a-vis -vis recommendations yeah. for vaccines, like Absolutely. you said. I think the other thing that's important to say here is it's really important not to stigmatize mm -hmm. uh, and, and not to sort of put this disease in a, in a class that this only happens you know, in a community of men who have sex with men, because I worry that that sort of stigma will prevent people from wanting to come forward if they have cases or if they have, or if they're concerned. Um, and I, and I think that's important. You know, one of the important things about a disease like this is early timely recognition absolutely, and isolation to prevent it spreading from, you know, to other communities. Very true. I mean, think back to the beginning of the days of HIV, how stigmatizing it was and HIV spread into the general population faster than most people realize. And nowadays, you know, I mean, while it still has that association of men who have, with men who have sex with men, I mean, you and I both treat HIV. We're, we see it in anybody, right? Absolutely. We, you know, and, and it spreads through heterosexual contact. It spread, remember back then, blood transfusions was a big way it spread originally. So while the initial outbreak seems to have occurred in men who have sex with men, it can jump to other people. All it takes is contact. We shouldn't think of this as a big stigmatizing thing, though, you know, I, 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 people are people and people get scared. Um, so I understand it. You know, one other point I just thought about that I want to make, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of minor, but it's, it's probably important, is this virus is not related to chickenpox. I have gotten that question once or, or twice. Right, everybody hears monkeypox, chickenpox, but chickenpox is actually a herpes virus, um, just like cold sores. The two are not related at all. It just chickenpox was sort of misnamed back in the day. Okay, Matt, I'm going to bring final thought here. Um, for me, that is, I want to just punctuate something that we kind of touched on earlier about confirmed monkeypox cases. So. You know, if, if anyone's listening out there, if you are a case of monkeypox, if you contract this disease, I think it's fair to say the best treatment for you is going to be to be home, right, away from other people uh, to the extent that that's feasible, and really isolate yourself. And you just got to ride the storm out, right? Two, two, three, four weeks, that rash is going to last a while. Keep it clean, keep it covered, keep those spots from getting infected to the best of your ability. If you're going to be around other people, you should make sure that you're covering those spots as best you can and wearing a mask to prevent that respiratory transmission that we know can happen. And there's really not any other specific treatment unless, of course, you get to the point where you're so sick that you need to be in the hospital, that you've got to go to the hospital. And then at that point, we've got, you know, sort of a buffet of options that we could select from if, if yep. it gets to that point. And, and if you are one of those people who just for whatever reason absolutely can't isolate, just remember that you are going to be contagious. So if you have to be around people, cover up, as you said, but don't touch anybody. Don't shake hands. Be aware of what you're touching, right? Because if you have the lesions on your hands and you touch a surface, the virus is going to get on that surface. Good point. Keep, the, keep those surfaces clean. Wash those, you know, linens and, and clothes and all that stuff. Sort of, uh, I guess I'll call it common sense, uh, you yeah. know general household maintenance. That, that's, that's exactly it. And for my doctor friends out there, if you are confronted with a patient that you feel may have monkeypox, there, there are protocols. There's you know, state and local county uh, uh, health departments can help you with this. 
At this point, my best advice to you would be get in touch with your local health department and find out exactly how they want those specimens to be collected and where they should be sent to uh, for confirmatory testing. Right. It's incredibly important because, you know, you can't just go to the local lab and get tested for monkeypox, right? It's not a common test. It's all going to be handled through probably state health departments and, and CDC. It's not something like even at a big hospital like Beaumont, um, you know, our local lab is not going to run that test. We're going to send it off to the state, who are then going to send it to the CDC for confirmation. Perfect. I think we'll leave it there. That's uh, all the information we have time for today. I want to thank Matt. Matt, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. And I also want to remind the listeners to send along any questions or suggestions to our email, at, uh, which is podcast at beaumont.org. And I will leave you with this healthy thought. It's good to have situational awareness during an outbreak As with any contagious disease, the best way to avoid getting sick is to avoid contact with people or animals who are infected. And if contact does occur, be sure to practice good hand hygiene afterwards. Knowing the ways that monkeypox can spread and the signs and symptoms of the disease can help us identify and isolate existing cases more quickly, and that will help us limit the spread of new cases. Thank you. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.